Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and before we get started with this week's podcast, I want to mention an upcoming conference SpaceQ is the official media sponsor of. The Canadian Aeronautics and Space Institute, or CASI, is holding its biannual Astro 18 conference between May 15th to the 17th in Quebec City. The event will feature a head of Space Agency's panel, a Director General's space panel, keynote speakers, and a resilient space workshop. As well, the preliminary technical program is now available. To learn more and register, visit cassie.ca. Five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the top nine. Before I introduce my guest this week, I want to mention briefly our ongoing Patreon campaign. We're on our last week of our first semi-annual crowdfunding campaign. Although you can support us at any time, we really make a push for your support during the months of March and September. I want to thank those new people who in the last week have got us closer to our goals. It takes time and money to produce good journalism. Our first goal is a modest one of covering our basic monthly infrastructure costs. Once we reach that goal, we can move on to our second goal of having enough funds to be able to put our journalists to work more often. SpaceQ doesn't have a paywall. We believe everyone should have access to our reporting. But for us to continue to provide open access to the daily news and analysis on our website, our newsletter, and this weekly podcast, we need your support. I hope you see the value in what we do and support us. Our Patreon address is patreon.com slash spaceq. Some of the small rewards you could get from us include spaceq bookmarks or a spaceq mug. If you want to make an annual or one-time donation, then please contact me at mark at spaceq.ca as Patreon does not support those types of donations. And I should point out the mark is spelt with a C. Okay, now on to our guests. My guests this week are two members of the Alberta SAT team, Callie Lacina and Logan Fairgreave-Park. Callie is the Deputy Project Manager and Logan is the Science Team Lead and the Attitude, Determination and Control System Team Lead. Both are undergraduate students at the University of Alberta. AlbertaSat is a student group started in 2010 made up of about 50 undergraduate and graduate students. The group was started as a result of the creation of the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge. The Canada-wide competition encourages university students from different study areas to form a team to develop and build a nanosatellite, or CubeSat. It's not just for science and technology students, though. Marketing, communication, financial and project management skill sets are also needed. Today, Callie, Lode, and I will discuss AlbertaSat and its project. Welcome, Callie and Logan, to the SpaceQ podcast. Hi there. Hi, Mark. <laughs> All right. Before we begin dis- discussing AlbertaSat, briefly tell our audience what you're studying at the University of Alberta. And Callie, why don't you start? All right. So I'm a third year mechanical engineering co op student. And I ended up in mechanical engineering after working as a summer job in a mechanical engineering lab in high school as part of an outreach program that the U of A offers. So I I was in a mechanical engineering lab for that summer and loved it. 
and I went into mechanical engineering uh, not knowing necessarily that I was going to end up in aerospace, but AlbertaSat found me pretty quickly after having came to the campus. And so I haven't looked back ever since then. And what about you, Logan? Yeah, so uh, I'm in my third year of an honors physics degree, and I originally got interested when I was trying to decide between engineering and physics, and I came onto campus and met with a really, really cool experimental physics prof, and uh, I've been in the program ever since. And it's really interesting because it's really intensive in physics and math, and you don't get as many other electives, but I get to see a kind of a really wide breadth of uh, different physics classes, which I really enjoy. Hi. So how did you both get involved in AlbertaSat? AlbertaSat does a lot of outreach initiatives kind of around campus to try to recruit members throughout the entire year. And so I got pulled into one of them where the at the time, the deputy project manager and uh, one of the systems engineers of the group gave a presentation at one of my classes and, um, you know, there are other alternative like projects that I could have joined, like the Formula SAE project or EcoCar or something. But how could you possibly turn down the opportunity to build a spacecraft and <laughs> help build a spacecraft in your first year of university? So that pulled me in immediately. And uh, that was two and a half years ago. Yeah. And uh, when I first started, I was just uh, at the start of my second year. And I was looking for some uh, different opportunities because I was tired of just going to classes and being in class and going home and working on some stuff. I just wanted to do something different as well. And I was browsing online, actually, and I found the AlbertaSat website. And I ended up uh, submitting a little application and they told me to come in and I ended up talking and to them. And that's when I joined and started with AlbertaSat. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So... Uh, AlbertaSat uh, is a CubeSat, or sorry, AlbertaSat is the organization. Your first satellite is uh, Exalta One. Uh, it was launched uh, last April, uh, and uh, it was launched on, a, I think, a United Launch Alliance uh, cargo resupply mission to the International Space Station. And then in May of last year, it was deployed from the space station. So, what's the? Tell me a little bit about the satellite. And um, what is the status of the satellite? So Exalta-1 is a three-unit CubeSat. So it's about the size of a loaf of bread. And its primary science objective is studying space weather. Um, its main payloads include a radiation dosimeter, um, a multi-needle Langmar probe experiment that I'll talk a little bit more about in a second, a digital flux gate magnetometer that provides high res resolution readings of the Earth's magnetic field. Um, and then we consider one of our open source boards that we're flying on the satellite that was developed here at the U of A, one of our payloads, and that's the um, open source onboard computer. And we fly it in parallel with an off-the-shelf um, computer. So we're considering it a payload on this flight as, as it's its test kind of test mission. But that multi-needle Langmar probe a payload that I want to talk about was given to us as part of an international mission called QB50. So QB50 was going to have 50 cube satellites built in different countries all over the world, flying different, uh, like one of three different science payloads. One of the three was the multi-needle Langmar probe. And so that's the one that 
we were given from the QB50 mission. And this mission, which was based out of the von Karman Institute for Fluid Dynamics in uh, Belgium, um, integrated the payload onto the satellite. And now we're able to, um, in orbit, kind of collect the data and give it back to the QB50 a repository of information from all their CubeSats that have been built in different places around the world. Um, as far as its current status, we've collected science data. So uh, we collect data with the digital Fluxgate magnetometer pretty much every day right now. It's operated by students on campus using a ground station on the with the antenna on the roof of one of the buildings here at the university. And um, yeah, ever since the deployment in, in May, we've been talking to it every day, um, all run by students. So satellite's been up there for a year. Oh, well, not quite a year, actually. Um, and you've been collecting data. Um, what have you learned from, from uh, both from the data itself uh, and actually just working on a mission like this and tracking the satellite, getting the data, uh, you know, Tell me about the experience. Yeah, I'd say one of the most interesting parts of actually flying this satellite is how much the operators are learning. And that's something that can be, uh, that's not thought of oftentimes that it's not just collecting data, but this is actually a really great way to train potentially uh, future engineers and scientists who, be, who might be working on these missions for uh, the Canadian Space Agency or maybe another space agency. So right now, actually, we're trying to look more closely at data gathered from the uh, ADCS magnetometer and the digital Fluxgate magnetometer. And it can be quite challenging. You have to, when the satellite passes over, that's your downlink time. And that's when we are able to get data from the satellite that we've collected. So we have to be quite selective of what we want to take down at that point, from which instrument, whether it's uh, whole orbit data, whether we're looking at the uh, batteries, whether we're looking at the GFGM. And so we have gotten some very good uh, magnetometer data and we're looking at processing it right now. And I know that there are some profs at the University of Alberta who are also very interested in looking at it and incorporating it into their research. Now, you say you're collecting data about an average once a day. Um, so basically, somebody's you've obviously got a schedule. Somebody's got to be available to uh, you know, be in the, the mission control room to, to, to get that data. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. So at our um, latitude up here and with an International Space Station deployment, we get about five periods of contact, five passes per day. And we have some automation developed if we want to do some kind of basic housekeeping tasks on the satellite for the pass. But if we want to be doing any kind of new procedures or or um, any kind of more involved science or attitude determination and control um, procedures, then we have live operators. And so those are students, undergraduate students entirely. And sometimes the times that the satellite's overhead um, those passes fall during the day, but sometimes they're during the night. And so currently, all five times that the satellite's overhead is um, actually at nighttime. So the students are waking up in the night for, you know, half an hour or so flying a spacecraft and then going back to bed and then 
going to class the next day. Yeah. So the way it works is typically you'll get uh, like four or five passes with an hour and a half interval between them because that's the time it of course takes for the satellite to go around the earth and those passes they either fall they can fall nicely maybe you get them starting at noon but occasionally i'm not actually a operator for xl to one but i will go on our group chat that we have for our team and i will see people going on at midnight 1 30 a.m 3 a.m and then 4 30 a.m <laughs> so there does have to be a there does have to be someone getting up and uh, flying the satellite when it's overhead. You feel this great sense of duty as like a, a space pilot or something, waking up in the middle of the night to fly your spacecraft. It's, it, it's a lot of work, but it's really fun for all of us. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, okay, yeah, okay, once in a while you got to get up, you know, in the middle of the night, but just think of what you're doing. That's really cool. Okay, um, now you... AlbertaSat actually got started because of the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge, but XAlta One uh, participated in the QB50 project, which is not part of the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge. So, was uh, the satellite was it uh, designed and built outside of uh, the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge? Was it just an internal project uh, at some point? Yeah. So the. The group AlbertaSat was started in response to the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge. And after having gone through, like designed one satellite, presented it at the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge, the very first one they ever had. Um, after that process, one of the professors in the Department of Physics here, Dr. Ian Mann, heard about the QB50 mission and went to the AlbertaSat students and said, would you be interested in this? And the design of the satellite that had been submitted to the first CSDC or Canadian Satellite Design Challenge was morphed into what's almost an entirely different satellite. By the time you get to the QB50 critical designer view, it doesn't really resemble the, the CSDC critical designer view satellite. Um, but we built on top of that foundation that we had started with the CSDC to produce the Exalta one that you know and love today. Yeah, oftentimes you'll be working on this satellite and then it'll come out that another co competition that has arisen and perhaps they offer better resources than the previous one. So you might try and tailor the work you're doing to be more geared towards fulfilling the requirements of that competition, or maybe you're trying to fit it into both categories and split the difference. So it's really a matter of uh, tailoring the satellite to fit these competitions. Right. So with the QB50 project, uh, you know, one of the things that they brought to the project is that they'll pay for the launch into space, but you actually had to build the satellite and fund the satellite yourselves. How, do, how, how much did, did you guys actually need to raise and how much did it cost to, to build uh, the satellite? So just the hardware alone for Exalta One cost around one hundred fifty to $200,000. And then there are other expenses, obviously, in there, like traveling to the QB50 workshops in Europe for us and stuff like that. So altogether for the Exalta One mission, we fundraised uh, or crowdfunded over $300,000. And we had a lot of donations from individuals and from corporations. And we ran a little campaign that was like $100 gets your name in space. So or, or for your company, you could pay to get your logo on the satellite in space. So we have a chip on the back of the satellite with um, quite a few names of individuals who donated $100 and then the logos of some 
of our corporate donors as well. Yeah. And then, yeah, hardware donations were really great too. I know we received uh, one of our subsystems from a company called CubeSpace and uh, it's not even monetary donations. It's if we can get hardware that's or uh, even expertise, people will donate their knowledge. That's great too. Okay. Uh, before we go on, I need to mention our sponsor. Have either of you heard or read uh, any of Michu Kaku's books? I have not read any of his books, but uh, I'm quite familiar with him. I've seen a lot of his videos on YouTube, and uh, he's a great theoretical physicist and science educator. Yeah, you can't miss his hair on YouTube. If you've seen him, you remember his hair from the YouTube <laughs> yeah. videos, I think. Very, very white and gray, but just an excellent, excellent man. Yeah, really good videos. You got to love YouTube. Okay, so uh, his book is being published by Penguin Random House Canada. Here's what it's about. We are entering a new golden age of space exploration. Moving human civilization to the stars is increasingly becoming a scientific possibility and a necessity. In his new book, The Future of Humanity, world-renowned physicist Dr. Michio Kaku explores developments in technology that may allow us to terraform and build cities on Mars and even beyond our own solar system as the search for a twin Earth continues. The future of humanity is an exhilarating journey to a future among the stars. Find your copy today wherever great books are sold. So, uh, going on to our questions... Um, you're now working on Exalta 2. Tell me about that project and how it's different from Exalta 1. Yeah, so Exalta 2, the main large difference is the payload. So this time around, what we're planning on flying is a multispectral imager for forest fire detection. And that was actually in response to the wildfires in Fort McMurray in northern Alberta. So after seeing that happened, uh, we had completed Exalta 1 and we were trying to determine what our next uh, goal would be for our second satellite. And that kind of uh, gave us the drive to develop that payload and what we wanted it to do. So we're in the design phase of it right now, the design and planning phase, and each subsystem team is kind of working together to figure out exactly how we can fly this uh, imager. And it's going to be very different because flying an imager, it requires more power, better uh, control of the satellite. Everything's kind of amped up a notch in terms of uh, complexity. So we're all excited to be working on it. And Exalta 2 overall is a much more ambitious mission than Exalta 1 was because our secondary mission objective, in addition to flying the multispectral imager payload, is an open source CubeSat platform. I mentioned the onboard computer, it's called Athena, that was developed here at the U of A by uh, a student who leads our embedded systems. And so that computer has some flight heritage now from the Exalta 1 mission, and it'll be our main OBC on Exalta 2. But we're also developing an open source UHF transceiver, an open source power board, um, and we have an open source CubeSat structure as well that we make, the students have made in-house using the U of A's own facilities. Um, so all of that chalks up to, you know, now we're not only working on, you know, the, the payload integration and, 
and selecting components to buy off the shelf. Now we have to build kind of everything from the ground up. And we got a fair head start on that with Exalta One, but our team is bigger now. We have some more experience under our belt. Um, the faculty advisors have worked with us for quite a while now. So it's a much more ambitious mission, but um, I've, I, I think we'll rise to the challenge quite well over the next few years. Um, another point I want to mention about the multispectral imager that Logan was mentioning earlier is that in addition to forced fire uh, detection, it also does prediction of where the fire is likely to start and can monitor the post-burn scarring effects that the wildfire leaves on the land. And so we've chosen a few uh, spectral bands in the visible and infrared regions to, um, after talking with wildfire scientists and with uh, government in the Department of Agriculture here in Alberta, um, we've identified those bands to be able to do both, um, or I guess all of prediction, detection, and post-burn effects. So it sounds like a much bigger scope of a project. Um, uh, and you're in the design phase right now. So how long a project is this? How many uh, years will it be? Is this a two-year project, one-year project, three-year project? CubeSat missions generally take two to four years. Excel to one took, if I was to generalize the whole you know, design and build process, maybe four or five years. Um, and so we're estimating Excel to two will be done, like integrated within about two more years. Two more years. And both, yes. now will both of you still be, you, both of you might be gone by then, right? So it'll be passed on to the next, uh, I suppose, the next members in the group. Yeah. So it, it entirely uh, depends. There are some students that take five years to finish their degree. So if that was me in that case, I would still be around. And there are also a lot of undergraduate students who have decided to continue their postgraduate studies here at the University of Alberta, just because the uh, connections they've developed with the uh, different faculty that works with Alberta SAT, they've decided to pursue their studies under their guidance. And so those members are very in very still much involved. So there is quite a good chance that we could be around for the finish, the finishing of this project, but uh, we're not holding our breath. There's uh, lots of things can come up that can get in the way, but it would certainly be nice to see this entire uh, project through. It's actually quite interesting because uh, part of your planning process then takes into account that Team members change, leadership might might change, and so you have to build a plan that flows with all those different changes. Yeah, I'll actually still be here probably for the finish of Exalted 2 because I have a little more than two years left in my degree. Um, but you're right, succession is always being kept in mind in everything Alberta Set does. So we like to have a buddy system in terms of our team structure, where if you're the lead of a, say, the power system, you have a deputy lead or a co-lead that's maybe a couple years um, you know, younger than you, so that when you graduate, they already have seen what you're doing. Um, our current project manager is graduating in April, um, Tyler, and he has been training me for the last about four or five months. And in pretty much everything that he does so that the transition there will be smooth and there's no loss of knowledge. Yeah. And just to add to that communication on a team like this, where there's a, a turnover rate is very, very important. So we're always looking for better ways to ensure that everything is documented. Everything that's done is uh, made to be known and easy to find. That's really important to ensure that there's no inefficiencies and no time is being wasted actually. 
And are you sharing uh, your knowledge and lessons learned with other universities that are also interested in developing CubeSats? Yeah, absolutely. And with the announcement of the Canadian CubeSat project that you're probably getting to later, um, recently a lot of other universities across Canada have been thinking about starting their own CubeSat missions and have gotten in contact with us. And in the spirit of our you know, open source mission objectives of Exalta 2 and then also just in the spirit of collaboration in general, we've been in contact with many of those universities across Canada and also uh, through the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge. We're in close contact with them. So let, let's talk a, a little bit about the specifics of the actual Exalta 2. Um, it's a more ambitious project. It's got uh, the multispectral imager on it. Um, how much larger of a satellite is this than Exalta 1? So that's the funny thing, actually, is it's exactly the same size. It's a 3U CubeSat, just okay. like Exalta 1. So 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 30 centimeters. But a number of the subsystems are going to have to change a little bit. So our ADCS system, which controls the uh, orientation of the satellite, that has to be more robust because our satellite needs to be controlled more accurately for imaging. Uh, our power needs are going to be greater as we are going to have to operating the camera is a power hungry payload. And of course, transmitting our data, we have to use a different uh, radio band, which draws more power. So developing this, uh, that's one of the things that makes it so ambitious is it's kind of the same package, but we're putting something a lot more technical into it. And uh, in terms of cost, is it going to be, because uh, I know you're, you've been working on the open, open source side of things, is it going to be a cheaper mission or a cheaper satellite to build, or is it going to be the same or more expensive? It's, we're budgeting for a, a cheaper mission right now because of the open source components. Um, but we've left a lot of contingency in there because the components are not that developed. Since they have no heritage, we need to leave quite a bit of room in our budget for iteration and for, for contingency. So um, we've allocated space that's about the same as the cost of Exalta 1, and we're expecting the overall cost to be lower. Now, Logan mentioned the ADCS, and we would, we're not making that component open source, and that might be more expensive than the ADCS we got for Exalta 1. Yeah, so it has a uh, few more internal components. Typically, your ADCS, it has just a number of sensors to find your orientation and then actuators to kind of control where you're pointing. And this system is going to have uh, a larger number of reaction wheels and also a star tracker to better uh, find its orientation. And I believe our, we're going with more efficient solar panels and a number of other items that are maybe a little bit more expensive, but are completely necessary to uh, fulfill the design requirements. Okay. Is, um, uh, is the government of Alberta involved? So far, we've talked with the government as them being like a like a potential end user of the data we're producing. As I mentioned, we, we've met with the Department of Agriculture and Forestry to see what kind of data they need to identify and prevent the spread of wildfires. Um, but 
on a financial basis, we haven't really been working with the government so far, just as a customer for our, right. our data. And um, what about launch this time around? How are you going to deal with that? Mm-hmm. We've submitted an application to the Canadian CubeSat project where the Canadian Space Agency, if our proposal is accepted, would give us a launch out of the ISS, exactly like Exalta 1, from the NanoRacks CubeSat deployer. Um, Okay, that answers that question. So, yeah, let, let's just talk about the the Canadian uh, Space Agency CubeSat project. Uh, you already beat me to the punch on one of my questions, which is, are you going to be involved? And your answer is, well, you've submitted a proposal. Um, from what I understand, you should be hearing soon, if you have not already heard, as to whether or not you're going, your proposal is going to be uh, selected. So do you, have, do you have any idea on time frame as to when you'll hear from them? No, I think it, it should be quite soon. The proposal was submitted back in December, but right now we're just kind of waiting with open ears, really eager to hear back from them. Now, if my understanding of the project is, is that, you know, the hope is that every province and territory will be able to have a team uh, or a university or a group of universities and colleges get together to uh, produce a CubeSat. So, um, do you know if you're the only application in Alberta? Are you teaming up with anybody else? Uh, at this point in time, we are not planning on teaming up with anyone else. We've reached out to uh, a few different people, but haven't gotten a ton back. We're not sure if the University of Calgary has submitted anything uh, We don't know if there have been any other proposals from Alberta for sure. Um, you know, we've heard rumors, but nothing for certain. And in terms of collaboration, there's been a little bit of talk with nearby territories and provinces about possibly bringing them here to use the U of A's facilities. Um, because we we have a, we did all the environmental testing and the build of Exalta 1 here. So we could do some training and maybe sharing of facilities uh, here at the U of A if they're nearby and want to come collaborate. So how many students are now involved in, in the project? I would have to say um, it's always hard to keep track of the exact numbers, but I would say still we have around 50 members with uh, 20 that are very tightly committed and uh, putting a lot of their time into the project. But it's all it's all really a big group effort. Um, even the people that can put in maybe just a few hours a week, they're helping with small tasks here and there. And then those putting in more time are often managing teams, managing multiple people, and uh, ensuring that all this information kind of gets brought together and then shared with those who need it and with uh, the faculty and getting their feedback. And those 50 members includes not only students in science and engineering, but it includes uh, education and business as well, um, because we have quite a strong educational outreach program that visits elementary all the way up to high school uh, classrooms in the Edmonton area to talk about AlbertaSat and space science. And Logan and I actually have both been the lead of that team before we got into technical work or project management. Yes. So it's a big part of what we do. And a lot of our members um, are either from education or are in science and engineering, but just to help out with our outreach program. Yeah, the original Canadian Satellite Design Challenge, it actually had a portion included on it for educational outreach. And uh, our educational outreach program has kind of grown from there. So even though it's not required anymore, 
by a lot of uh, different competitions, we still really like to be heavily involved in it and do tabling sessions around the city and visit schools and summer camps. Actually, the Canadian, the original Canadian Satellite Design Challenge didn't have an um, educational outreach component. That was just added this year where they wanted you to keep track of um, like the, the number of students you probably reach and what kind of activities you're doing. And we kind of knocked the socks off, I think, the CSDC judges with the number of students we have just because our program has been around for about five years. And we've actually submitted proposals to, um, this wasn't from the CSDC, but for, for other programs where it asks about our educational outreach goals, like how many students do you think you can reach? And we've basically stated what we're doing as, you know, our goal is to, you know, keep doing what we've already been doing. And we get the proposal back and it says, this is too ambitious. I think this is an unreasonable goal for your educational outreach. And we said, little do they know we're already doing this. So, uh, how many uh, educational outreach events do you think you, you've done in the last year? In the last year, I would have to estimate around 20 to 25 school sessions, um, maybe a dozen summer camp, a dozen to 20 summer camps, and then probably around five or six tabling events. So I believe we estimated that that's, in, that's over a thousand students, well over a thousand students, maybe approaching two or three. Now, um, with respect to the Canadian uh, Satellite Design Challenge, you don't have a team participating in the current challenge, do you? Yes, we do, actually. Oh, you do? Excellent. Okay, because yeah. I, was, I was on their website this morning and I didn't see your, your, the U of A uh, logo there. Oh, perhaps the logo isn't on the website, but we actually got first place in the critical design review that was presented in uh, Vancouver back in September um, with our design of XLT2 and its multispectral imager. Okay, well, that answers that question. <laughs> um, so with your educational outreach, with this program uh, and this effort that started in, in 2010, what do you think it's meant for the students uh, that have been involved and, and for the younger students that you go and visit? Um, one of the things that is, I think, really characteristic of students these age in elementary is that they're usually interested in two things, and it's space and dinosaurs. And so we're very happy to be going out and talking to them about one of these things and teaching about these things. And it's really, really great because they get to see people that are working on these kind of things. It's not just their teacher telling them about it. It's these students who are doing it, coming out and talking to them. And I know I still do a lot of ed outreach and I'm actually going to a session later today. And it's really great just to see the excitement in their eyes when you tell them that like maybe 10 years from now they can come to the university and do the same thing. So I can only hope that they're taking that to heart and maybe a few of them will. And we can maybe get some more people kind of continuing on this legacy of working on satellites. Yeah, part of Alberta Stat's long-term goal is to develop a space industry and just a strong presence of space science and engineering in our province. And so uh, we recognize that it's a long-term investment to go visit these elementary schools, but we enjoy it, and um, it it's for the you know benefit of Alberta Sets' long-term goals for sure. Okay, uh, I, I 
want to revisit Exalta 1 because I forgot to ask a question earlier, and that is, what's the lifespan uh, of the satellite? One and a half to two years, and that's just determined by uh, its injection into orbit coming from the ISS. So it doesn't have any propulsion on it to give it a boost if its orbit is decaying. So just coming down from about 400 kilometers at the ISS, it'll burn up somewhere around 100 kilometers, and it takes one and a half to two years for its orbit to uh, decay to that altitude. All right, so it's got, uh, it's still got a little bit of ways to go before it comes back. Yeah, so currently we're in in March, and we're projecting about an October burn up. Okay, All right. well, at least it's going to be burning up in the atmosphere and not becoming a piece of debris. Um, yes. Now, uh, let's switch gears uh, a little bit. Um, you're part of the future workforce. Um, uh, you know, until the Canadian Satellite Design Challenge actually started and really kick-started, in my opinion, uh, interest in universities and developing satellites, even though it's been done in the past, um, you know, there's been little starts here and there and the Canadian Space Agency has been involved. I think it's really when Canadian Satellite Design Challenge that things really got going across the country. Um, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are about your future prospects of working in Canada. Um, Do you think uh, you will, what you're doing will lead to more industry initiatives or are you looking to uh, maybe working for government, going to work for the Canadian Space Agency? I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. With the uh, announcement of the federal budget a little while ago that gave a lot of room for private space industry in Canada to grow. So um, I think a lot of the excitement that Alberta Sat feels and that, you know, the space industry just around the world probably feels is this, this newfound kind of democratization thing. And having students have their hands on satellites here is, is just so representative of how accessible space is becoming to non-governmental organizations. So that's where I see at least myself, and I think probably many of the team members going in the future is these exciting, fresh companies with seemingly crazy ideas about how we can use space to, you know, benefit our society um, in ways that have never been done before. That's a brand new thing that we're all excited to be a part of, and it, there's no nothing stopping it from happening right here in Canada if initiatives like what Alberta Sat is doing, um, bringing up the next generation and kind of kickstarting things at the university level, keep going. Um, I think it looks it looks like there are great prospects here for us. Yeah. And uh, hopefully this development of kind of the industry side of um, satellites and space in Canada will lead to developments of more programs as well. There's a number of already really great space science and engineering programs out east, but if that uh, if the number of these programs and quality of them gets bolstered, that draws people to Canada and keeps Canadians here learning about these things, getting educated, and then hopefully staying to work in those sectors as well. Okay. Now, um, I suppose we'll end on a, on a personal note here. Um, what are your plans after you finish your undergrad? Are you both planning to do graduate degrees or are you looking at maybe going into the workforce right away? Uh, I think I know that 
I'm going to have to pursue a graduate degree at some point or another. I would really like to work coming right out of university and get some good experience, but it really uh, it depends on whether or not you get accepted for these positions. So right now I'm playing it a little bit by ear, but I'm confident that a year from now or two years from now, I'll be doing something I enjoy, whether it's a master's program or working for some company. Kelly? I might go with what some other Alberta SAT alumni have done where they get a little bit of work experience freshly after having graduated and then they can come back for a, a master's or a PhD after they've got a little bit of experience um, under their belt. Um, because I think in the long term, my career would require a master's degree to get where I want to go. Um, but it's so enticing seeing all the cool projects that are out there right now and all of the, the, the companies and startups that you could be a part of. So that might draw me in right after having graduated. But um, I, I have received incredible support from the faculty here and have seen the great you know education in aerospace that different universities across Canada have to offer and um, the, the one that's developing here at the U of A too. And I could come back to that after having seen what industry has to offer. So, Callie, I'm just curious, uh, would you be an entrepreneur? Would you start your own company at some point? That's not off the table. Um, I think there's a lot of room right now for, as I mentioned earlier, for fresh new ideas. It's like this uh, like primordial, primordial soup of, of space industry ideas kind of floating around in Canada as the technology is, is progressing so rapidly now. Um, so I see some opportunities out there that I could harness. And based on, you know, the amount of talent that's being generated through Alberta SAD and the U of A here, um, the, the talent and the workforce and the desire to start companies and make these new ideas come to life is, is all there. We have the right ingredients. So I'm going to give that a strong maybe. <laughs> okay. And Logan, do you have any entrepreneurial spirit in you? Oh, I'm not sure yet. If I do, I got. I better go out and find it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll join. Uh, maybe I'll join Cali's uh, company. We'll have to see. Okay, so I want to thank Callie and Logan for being my guests on the Space Cube podcast today. Uh, best of luck with your studies. Uh, I, I'm going to be following Exalta 2 and uh, Alberta Sat as, as things go forward. I think what you're doing is is fantastic and, and in particular doing the, the outreach stuff. So thank you again for being uh, on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. It was a pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash spaceq. We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode if you send me a comment by email i'll write back to you as soon as i can on twitter you can follow us at canada in space and if you use facebook you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page the space Q. if you like the show please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app